Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Have you seriously studied the book of Acts? How blessed we are to have this incredible account of what our early brothers and sisters did after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Let's open now to Acts chapter 1 and see what the Holy Spirit has for us as we look at the early beginnings of the Christian church. Well, good afternoon and uh, welcome to another teaching. Today we're going to be going through, I've been working through the book of Acts, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, and we may only get through verse 5 today. I'd like to get through verse 8, but uh, we may only get through verse 5. It's, uh, it's Sunday, February 2nd over here in Texas, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, so the Super Bowl starts here in about uh, four hours. So I'm sure many of you are pulling for the Chiefs and many for the 49ers. And uh, unfortunately, our Dallas Cowboys are not in it, but uh, it ought to be a fun Super Bowl. So I hope everyone's doing well. We're going to go ahead and read the, uh, the scriptures, and then we will uh, we'll get right into it. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our eyes now that we might... See the word of God, Lord. Help us to uh, to really hear you, Holy Spirit, as we uh, study the word of God and uh, help us to walk it out, Lord, in every aspect of our lives. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We commit this time into your hands, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So when we come to the scriptures, we say this over and over and over again, and it, and it bears repeating over and over and over again is the first question we want to ask ourselves when we're looking at this is, why is this in the Bible? Why did our Heavenly Father include this in the Scriptures and make it the Word of God? Uh, remember, when we read the Scriptures, we're actually reading and studying the very words of God Himself. And so every word that's in there is of infinite importance. 
You remember Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. You know, we're going to have a nice remodeled heaven and a nice remodeled earth. But the word of God, Jesus said, will never pass away. And so we're always going to have this Bible for all eternity. So it, it's a good question to ask yourself is why is this in the Bible? And in, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, it says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Uh, it's not just in the Bible here to tell us a nice story. It's in here to, to teach us and to instruct us. And you'll recall that uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11 say that these things are written down as examples to us. So when we look at these scriptures, we want to see what is the example to us. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in principle, the way he acted here is the way he'll act now with you and me. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, we have your word and uh, we have that promise that you are the same. Romans 2.11 says that God doesn't show favoritism. In any way, God does not show favoritism, whether you're a man or woman, whether you're black, white, my wife is Asian, um, Hispanic, whatever you are, there is no favoritism with God. He loves us all equally. We all equally need Jesus Christ as our Savior. And this is the word of God and the promise to God to us one and all. If we have Jesus Christ, I say it over and over in these podcasts. If you, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you're not certain that you have received him into your heart, press pause and just pray to him right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Save me from my sin. I put all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone, Jesus, to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you get saved. That's how you have your sins forgiven and you come into a relationship with God as your father is by asking Jesus to come into your heart and, uh, and just praying and just really asking him. And, and he will do it. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's roll. Verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Uh, the author of this book is Luke. He also wrote the book of Luke. The book of Luke is a historical account of all that Jesus said and did. When you open the book of Luke, you'll see 24 chapters of everything that Jesus said and did when he walked with his disciples for those uh, three and a half years. And in the beginning, you'll see an account uh, uh, of his birth. You'll also see an account of when he was 12 years old. Um, so it's a history book that Luke wrote down of everything that Jesus said and did. The book of Acts, however, now is a, is a historical account of the early church. You know, all that the, the, the brand new Christians, all those who are now Christians, all that they began to do and all they did and all they said. And so Luke says in the beginning of this book, in my former book, which is Luke, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The meaning of our lives is really in that verse, right? Luke is saying, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The very foundation of your life and of my life and of this whole world really begins and ends on all that Jesus does. Jesus is God. Jesus made the universe. Colossians 1 tells us, right? Luke says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do 
and to teach. And the focus of our lives truly ought to increasingly be about what Jesus does and what Jesus says. Everything in your life should be about what does Jesus do, what would Jesus do, and what is Jesus's heart on this matter. And so Luke is writing about in his first book all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and the foundation of our lives ought to be the same. Lord Jesus, I ask you to help us. Help me, Lord, golly, just to, uh, to have a, a life and a desire and a heart to increasingly um, look for what you're doing and what you're teaching me in every aspect of my life. And all of us, Lord, everyone listening to this, I ask you to help us to truly uh, begin to more and more live our lives, seeing what you're doing in every aspect of our lives, whether it's in our difficulties or our blessings, and what you're trying to teach us, Lord. And, and help us just to continually to be in the word of God and to see what Jesus began to do and teach. Um, and Lord, we just bless you and thank you and just, just ask us to have this heart in us that above all in our lives, we want to know what Jesus is doing and what he's saying or teaching. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. It's interesting here. Um, this is the risen Christ now. He's been raised from the dead, full-blown, unmitigated, all-powerful God, and yet he's still giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. It bears asking, why would that be? Why wouldn't just Jesus give the instructions himself? I mean, he is the man. He is God here walking around the earth. But you'll notice he still cooperates with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think that's in there, uh, again, as an example to us. Because you remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things are written down as examples to us. So in our lives, it's the Holy Spirit that is leading us, is guiding us. If we're Christians and we're saved, uh, the Holy Spirit is one with us. And we are one with him. We are our spirit is one with the Spirit of God. We're joined together with the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we have life or spiritual life, is being joined with the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus himself. But you can see here the cooperation of, uh, of the Trinity. Um, the scripture doesn't use that word Trinity, but we consistently, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit spoken about in different ways, in prophetic ways. And here it says that Jesus gave instructions through the Holy Spirit. So he's still cooperating with the Holy Spirit as an example to us who, as the Trinity cooperates, we certainly need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that if we're giving instructions, it ought to be through the Holy Spirit based on the word of God. Now that needs to sink in. When we give instructions, really about anything, it always should have its foundation through the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. Now, what I'm saying, I'm not trying to be super spiritual here. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're giving instructions on how to do dishes, you need to do it through the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. But, you know, hey, if you want to do that and say, Holy Spirit, teach me how to do these dishes. My wife complains that I don't do dishes very well. Matter of fact, she's, she's been fussing. There's a lot that I don't do well. Lord Jesus, help me. 
so again, I'm not trying to be overly spiritual here. I'm simply saying we want to live our lives being guided by the Holy Spirit of God, always based on the Word of God. And the more we do that, the more our relationship with Jesus will prosper, the more our intimacy with our Heavenly Father will be, uh, will be there, and, and truly the more blessed we'll be. Verse 3. After his suffering, that's rough, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus Christ is risen. Matthew 28, 6. Uh, the single most important event in the history of the universe is the resurrection of Jesus. Why is that? Some will say, well, isn't is it in the death of Jesus? Well, no, it isn't, because it's the resurrection of Jesus that validates the death of Jesus. You are saved by putting your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you. But the validation that you're given and I'm given by the word of God is that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. When the Father raised Jesus from the dead, that was God the Father putting his stamp of approval on the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross for you and me. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that was the Father saying to you and I and all of us in the world that you can fully trust in what Jesus has done at the cross for you, and I'm going to validate that by raising him from the dead. Everything in the universe hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We got all kinds of religions in the world, but only one is risen, right? Buddha's still in the grave. Muhammad is still in the grave. Confucius, still in the grave. Everybody else still in the grave. Jesus Christ is risen. Golly. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. So hopefully all that makes sense. Why does it say after his suffering? Golly. I mean, Jesus was on this earth 33 and a half years, and apparently his life was qualified by suffering. I mean, because you could have said a, a thousand things there, right? You could have said after his resurrection. It could have said after his death. But it says after his suffering. And for some reason, and, and I know I don't like it, but for some reason, suffering is a part of our lives. It just said, I mean, Jesus, most of his life was suffering. Imagine being God and willingly becoming a human man. Not only that, a human man 2,000 years ago. I mean, life was hard then, man. I mean, we have life so incredibly good and blessed now in 2020 compared to what it was 2,000 years ago or even three, four, five, six hundred years ago in the Middle Ages, right? So it says after his suffering, I mean, uh, Jesus Christ suffered and he suffered for you and for me. All suffering that we go through in one way or another, even if it isn't our fault, has to do that we live in a, a fallen world and we, we are a sinful people. So our sinful nature and sin that's still in the world is at the foundation, the cause for all suffering. But Jesus was the only one without sin, the sinless man, J. Allen Ross. He wrote that book, The Sinless Man. He's the only one that had no sin in him at all, but yet he still submitted to suffering on your behalf and on my behalf. And uh, that's just something worth meditating on, is, uh, you know, that, that Jesus suffered for you, really his whole life, 
right? To be God and just have to walk this earth in itself is a form of suffering, right? So after his suffering, he showed himself to these men, and these are the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs. Now, convincing proofs is a heavy term because you and I haven't been given any proofs, so to speak. Now, I mean, I haven't seen Jesus, right? He hasn't appeared to me. But to these men, he gave convincing proofs, many of them, right? We have to walk by faith, right? We have to take God at his word. We have to believe by faith that Jesus is risen. Just as a side note, the reason you and I believe that Jesus is risen is because it's in your Bible. We don't believe it because your mom told you. We don't believe it because your pastor told you. You certainly don't believe it because I told you. Uh, you believe it because it's in your Bible. That's why we believe things. Why do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Well, he changed my life. That's great that he changed your life, but that's not why you believe it. You believe it because it's in the Bible. It's in the living word of God. God gave his word. He gave his word that Jesus died on the cross for you. He gave his word that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So that's why you believe all these things. And to these early Christians, the apostles, he gave many convincing proofs. Sometimes um, many of us wish that we could have these convincing proofs, but that, that's not the call of God in our lives. There was a lot that went with that. Eleven of them were martyred. They had to give their lives in a terrible fashion for Jesus. They were killed for Jesus, is what history tells us. That's not in the Bible, Jose. That's, uh, you know, that is extra-biblical history tells us that um, all but John were martyred for Jesus. Now, he hasn't given us these, and, and we need to believe by faith and walk by faith. But Jesus Christ is risen. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says Jesus showed himself to over 500 people at the same time after he was raised from the dead. Verse 3, continuing, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So we see here that after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus walked around the earth for 40 days, popped in and out. We see um, various uh, different accounts of his appearances. So we see in Acts 1 verse 3 that after his resurrection, Jesus walked the earth for 40 days. And what did he do? He spoke about the kingdom of God, it says here. That's the end of verse 3, and spoke about the kingdom of God, those seven words, and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's what he did for 40 days. This is what I want you to do. I want you for the next 40 days not to do anything but speak about the kingdom of God. Okay? Don't do anything but speak about the kingdom of God for 40 days, and I promise you, you'll be better off. Because most of what we say is not helpful, truth be told. I mean, all of us could cut out, what, 75, 80% of our words, and we'd probably be better off. Probably all of us would be better off if we just shut up a little more often. Certainly I would be, and many of the people in my life would probably agree with that statement. Let's start talking about the kingdom of God a little bit more. The truth is, though, we, I get wrapped up in the kingdom of this world all the time. But Jesus' focus is on the kingdom of God, and that's where our focus really, uh, really ought to be. The more your focus is on the word of God, the heart of God, the ways of God, and the kingdom of God, the more blessed you will be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Hold on, I thought that said request. No, no, I guess it does say command. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I don't know why Jesus doesn't give requests. I guess he thinks he's the boss of everything. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to explain this now, and I think we'll end the podcast here. Because this is going to be a lot to digest. I'm going to talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and, and hopefully bring some clarity to it. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion surrounding this. Many scholars over the, over the centuries have said many a different thing. And in the body of Christ today, there are many different views. My personal view is going to be what I hope is just the closest to what the scripture actually says, right? Um, there are people that believe that there were certain anointings given that aren't written, but there are people that believe that there's certain spiritual blessings given to these people that aren't given to us. But it doesn't say that. The scripture doesn't say it was only for them, so to speak. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Hebrew writer says that, uh, you know, he's kind of worn out and he doesn't want to have to keep talking about instruction about baptisms. And it's plural. It's not singular. It's baptisms. So apparently the Bible speaks of more than one baptism. And we're going to talk about the three baptisms that the Bible, the Bible teaches us. And hopefully, you know, we can bring some clarity to what each one is and how it happens and how you get it. Because we want them all, right? Because every baptism is going to come with blessings from God. Make no mistake of that. You cannot walk in obedience to God in anything, let alone baptism, and not be blessed. So, you know, we want whatever the Lord has for us. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So the three baptisms is what we're going to talk about. Obviously, this talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that'll be the final one. So what's the first baptism? The first baptism is going to be a spiritual baptism, and it happens when you get saved. When you get born again, when you pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin, and you, you tell him you're putting all your trust in him alone as your only Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes in and joins himself, his Spirit, to your spirit. Now, until this time, you were naturally alive, but your spirit was dead to God because of sin. You were born with what the Bible says is a sinful nature. And because of that, you were born naturally alive, but you're, you were born spiritually dead. Your spirit was dead to God. When you received Jesus and asked him to come into your heart, the Holy Spirit of God is the one that came into your heart into your spirit, joined him, his spirit, to your spirit, and there was an explosion of life, and you were what's called born again. So it's a scary term to some people, but uh, it's, it's not a natural rebirth. You were born again spiritually. You became spiritually alive 
because the Holy Spirit of God, of Jesus, joined himself to your spirit. And the Holy Spirit just caused an explosion of life and you became alive spiritually. And this whole thing started making sense to you. The Bible started making sense. Uh, church started making some sense. Living for Jesus. Maybe repenting over sin. Uh, certainly repenting over sin. But all these things started to make sense to you, okay? Now, at this time, this, the Holy Spirit of God baptized you spiritually or immersed you spiritually into what's called the body of Christ. And this is the first baptism. It's a spiritual baptism that upon your salvation from sin, the Holy Spirit immerses you into the body of Christ or baptizes you into the body of Christ and you become part of the body of Christ. We all Christians are called are part of the body of Christ, the Bible says. And uh, that's in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe. That it says we were baptized by one spirit into one body. Okay, so that's the first baptism. I hope that makes sense. If you need to rewind the tape or the cast, you get old, you just start calling it a tape. All right, the second baptism, okay? After being saved, you remember in Jesus, uh, in, the, um, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18, 18 to 20, he says uh, to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a water baptism. This is a physical baptism. So we saw the first baptism was a spiritual baptism where the Holy Spirit of God baptized you into the body of Christ, into the body of Jesus, into Jesus, right? So in the first baptism, the Holy Spirit is baptizing you into Jesus upon your salvation, into his body. The second baptism now is going to be a physical baptism. And this physical baptism is an outward symbolic act that we do that represents that inward reality of what already happened. So hopefully that makes sense. When you go down into the baptismal waters, physically, when you got baptized, when you go down into the water, it represents your old man or woman being left in that water, being identified with the death of Christ. When you come up out of the water, it represents that you know your new raised from the dead your new life in Christ identified with the resurrection of Jesus okay so the second baptism the water baptism again is an outward symbolic act of an inward reality the inward reality is the holy spirit that already spiritually baptized you into the body of Christ that's the inward reality and when you do your water baptism physically, whether you go to the church or the lake or the river or wherever you do it, you go publicly, right? Baptism is a, is a public event where you go publicly and say, you know what? Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin and I love him and I'm going to live my life for him. Therefore, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you remember in uh, the Great Commission, I'll say again, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this is a, uh, an outward physical baptism that we should all go through 
after having received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's important to understand this in no way saves us. Okay, Nothing saves us but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing you do, say, think, or don't do, say, or think can affect your salvation. Nothing saves us but what Jesus has done and you having faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross. That's how you get saved. Now, this baptism, we are all called to do it, this water baptism, this physical baptism being immersed in water, as an act of obedience and an act of a public proclamation of our faith in Christ. Okay, so that's the second baptism. But here at the end of verse 5, we have the third baptism. It says, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here is a third baptism, and what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So you remember the first baptism was a spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit baptizing you into Jesus in his body. This third baptism, again, comes after salvation. It has nothing to do with your sins being forgiven, nothing to do with you going to heaven. Okay? It's a subsequent baptism to empower you for the work that Jesus has called you to do in the kingdom of God as his or her disciple. Okay? Now, how does this one happen? In, uh, I believe it's Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, John the Baptist says that there's one that's going to come after me. I can't untie his shoes. I baptized you with water. But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And it's a gift from the Father, but it's Jesus who does it. As you heard in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in the baptism of the Holy Spirit now... Remember, the first baptism is the Holy Spirit baptizing you or immersing you into Jesus and his body. But this baptism now is Jesus baptizing you into his spirit. So it's the reverse if you can see that. How do you get this baptism? Well, you just ask for it. Since Jesus is the one to do it, I would encourage you to go and say, Lord Jesus, man, I, I, I ain't heard that before, but I want that. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, I ask you to, to baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Because it's going to go on to say that you will receive power. Right? In verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And don't we want all that Jesus has for us? If there's a special power or blessing or anointing that's going to come from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, well, let's get it, okay? It's important to understand it doesn't save you. It's not going to give you some instant maturity in your walk with Christ. It's not going to prevent you from having to go through difficulties. It's simply an empowering to help you walk out the call of God in your life um, and all that Jesus has called you to do. So, three baptisms. Hopefully they make sense to you. Uh, the first one, again, is a spiritual baptism. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God baptizes you or immerses you into Jesus and his body. The second one is a physical water baptism. 
that when you go down into the water and come up out of the water, it identifies you with the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And it's a public proclamation that's, uh, that's just showing that you're willing to go publicly and proclaim your faith in Christ. And again, there's a blessing with that because it's a very powerful symbolism. When you go down into those baptismal waters, you're leaving that old life, that old man or woman in that, in those waters, and you come out in the resurrection of Christ. It's a very exciting thing. Just as a side note, I, I do believe the Bible clearly teaches full immersion. There are some different Christian denominations that just sprinkle water on your head. And again, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus certainly was baptized by full immersion. Um, the apostles were baptized by full immersion. The, the book of Acts, we have people being baptized by immersion. So you want to be baptized in, you know, let's get the whole body underwater, right? I mean, I know if, if I just got sprinkled, it, it wouldn't do the trick. I need a, a symbolism of my whole body going in that water and coming out. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So that's the second baptism. And again, the third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit now. Um, it happens after you've been saved, okay? And it's a baptism where Jesus Christ now baptizes you into his Holy Spirit. And again, you just get that by asking Jesus. Pray to Jesus directly for it. Because he's the one that, uh, you know, it says in Luke 3.16, that he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So um, these last three verses, six, seven, eight, can take a long time. So I'm just going to wrap up there, and uh, we'll pick it up from there. So uh, hopefully that, uh, that makes good sense to you all, and uh, we'll talk soon. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives, Lord. Um, Father, we just ask you to open our hearts that we might truly, uh, truly understand these five verses of Scripture and help us to walk them out, Lord. Um, Lord, help us in our suffering. Any of us who are going through suffering and difficulties, Lord, just uh, give us eyes that see and ears that hear what you would have us to learn from it, Lord. And, and just help us to have a heart um, to see what you're doing, Lord Jesus, and what you're teaching us in every aspect of our lives. Lord, help us to, uh, to walk in the kingdom of God and have our conversation in the kingdom of God. And forgive us, Lord, when our conversation is often, as mine is, uh, on anything but the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.